Hey everybody, start your day as I do every day with Boyer's Coffee. I start my day at home and then I often finish the day when the Rockies are in town at the ballpark. And I start the ball game with a mocha from Boyer's Coffee because they are the proud partner and have been for a number of years of the Colorado Rockies. And Deb, who runs the cafe on the club level, always brings me my mocha right around first pitch. And that gets me through the first part of the game. I love it. I love it. I love it. If you go to BoyersCoffee.com, man, they got all kinds of great stuff, great product that you can have delivered free to your house. That's right. Uh, That's how I get it done with the K-Cups. They have a new flavor out, new caramel macchiato. It's uh, deliciously sweet and irresistible. And you can uh, find all of their top-selling brands right there at BoyersCoffee.com, Rocky Mountain Thunder, Hazelnut, uh, French Vanilla, Denver Blend. They're the original Rocky Mountain Roasters. They go back to 1965. So go to BoyersCoffee.com. Do as I do. Have it delivered right to your front door. Or you can find it in your favorite grocery store as well. It's BoyersCoffee.com. Love my steel products. Tell you about them every week. S-T-I-H-L. Go to SteelUSA.com or SteelDealers.com. And there's more than uh, 10,000 around the country. So you have one in your neighborhood. It's, uh, again, S-T-I-H-L. And it's like Christmas, man. If you go on their website and start shopping, I love the battery-powered products. I have a garage full of them. You can get blowers. You can get trimmers, chainsaws. They all are terrific and help cleaning up your yard. You're going to be the most popular person in your neighborhood because you're going to break it out and everybody's going to want to borrow what you have. So go to SteelUSA.com or SteelDealers.com and start shopping. You're going to love it. S-T-I-H-L. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, part two of Drew's conversation with Thomas Harding of MLB.com. With Thomas talking about that time he got yelled at by Todd Helton. We're in that tunnel between the clubhouse and the dugout, and he just blows up, and he is screaming at me, and then he says... Those details coming up, plus Drew's thoughts on the Rockies' recent struggles, the Colorado Avalanche, and of course... Nikola Jokic. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and please tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome in. It is show number 149. Glad, as always, that you are along with us. Taping from San Francisco as I get ready to head down to the ballpark for the middle game of a three-game set against the Giants. I got to bundle up because it's going to be friggin' freezing again. In fact, I was just walking around San Francisco, and I love San Francisco. Uh, it uh, is battling back as so many cities are after COVID, but man, oh man, it is always sunny and it is always freezing and the wind is really blowing today. So we'll have to bundle up again uh, tonight for the ball game. Rockies have run into really good starting pitching on this uh, road trip, which is not atypical of being on the road in the National League West, which boasts all five teams above 500. You know, it is the first time in a number of years this late into the season. I know it's not super late, but it's far enough into the season that having a division with all five teams over 500, very, very unusual. 
So we'll see how uh, it goes uh, moving forward. I have a couple of stories for you to uh, start this particular program before we get to uh, part two with Thomas Harding. Always enjoy talking to Thomas. Buddy Black, I tell you all the time, is you know funny guy, has great stories, has a great memory for stories. You know, I think a lot of people have heard good stories, especially guys that have been in sports for a long time, but they don't always remember them. Uh, I'm probably one of those folks. I, I remember some, but I don't remember as many as others. Anyhow, Buddy Black was telling a story about Ted Simmons. Ted Simmons, who uh, recently went into the Hall of Fame, as you know, was um, a guy that not only was a, a great baseball player, but really bright guy. And in the off seasons, when he was a minor leaguer, he would go back to his native Michigan and go to Ann Arbor and work on his degree at the University of Michigan. So one season at the conclusion of the minor league season, he was hitchhiking with his girlfriend, who later became his wife, back to Ann Arbor. And he gets picked up by this guy in a van. And they have a conversation, all right, where are you going? Well, I can get you pretty close. Can't get you right to Ann Arbor, but I'll get you close. And so uh, they settled in. His girlfriend sat in the front of the van, and he sat kind of in the back. And there were all of these instruments and amplifiers in the back of the van. This guy was clearly a musician. So, you know, they're talking, right? They're, they're spending a lot of time uh, in, in the van on, on their way toward uh, Detroit, I think it was. They were getting pretty close. And at one point, naturally, the guy who was driving the van says, so what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a professional baseball player. And he said, oh, that's pretty cool. And Ted Simmons said, what do you do? I guess you're, you're into music because uh, I see all these instruments back here, etc. He said, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to Detroit, and, and uh, you guys should come by if you get some time. I'm, I'm playing a gig at this uh, local bar, and um, you should come by. And he's like, oh, cool, good deal. So when they uh, got out of the van, you know, they shook hands and everything. And he said, hey, uh, by the way, what's your name if I, if I get a minute to come down to, uh, to that bar? He said, uh, my name's Bob Seeger. How about that? <laughs> Gets picked up by Bob Seeger before Bob Seeger made it. Uh, no, the Silver Bullet Band was not in the far back of the uh, van. I thought that was a great story, though. Funny story, right? Back when people hitchhiked. I think if you mention hitchhiking to most kids today, they'd go, what's that? I mean, you put your thumb out and people come by and pick you up. Another story that I wanted to share with you. So on Saturday, the Rockies are playing in Arizona, and it's Kentucky Derby Day, right? So I'm thinking, you know what? We usually put a pool together for the Kentucky Derby. And I'm not a big horse race guy. I just I don't follow it that closely. I mean, it's a it's a great event, it's a cool event. It's like it's like the Indianapolis 500. I'm I'm going to pay a little bit of attention to, but it's almost easier with 
the Kentucky Derby because it's two minutes long. You can pay attention and boom, uh, it's done. But I don't know one horse from from another. Maybe in the past I've read enough to know, okay, this horse is the favorite and, and this maybe is another horse to look for. I didn't even have that done. And usually someone in the truck will put together a little bit of, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, thing where everybody puts in money and, and you pull out of a hat and you get a horse. Well, that fell upon me this uh, particular year. I said, you know what, I'll do it. I said, nobody was overly eager to do it. I said, I'll do it. So I'm, uh, somebody printed out 19 horses because they, they had done it from the, from the night before the, the, before the field expanded. We didn't even know it expanded, quite honestly. So there's 19 horses. I, I you know, write them all down on a piece of paper. I rip them up. I put them in a hat, and I go around the truck. Uh, I put my partner, Jeff Houston in. And uh, everybody, I think uh, it was like $5 each. Everybody got a couple of horses. And then the race took place. We forgot to even watch it live. I saw literally the last, like, 15 seconds of it. And down the stretch they come. And Rich Strike wins. And everybody's searching for Rich Strike. And I'm now in the booth now, so I'm on a headset back to the truck. And our producer, Tavis, says, nobody had Rich Strike. I said, how can nobody have had Rich Strike? Would I forget to to rip up one of the, the names and put it in the hat? He said, no, evidently Rich Strike was added this morning. And I didn't even know that they could do that such a thing. And I was like, what do you mean he was added this morning? He said, yeah, and, and the... The list of horses that we used was from last night. So nobody had Rick Strike. He said, okay, so we'll go to the next horse that finished second, and that will be our winner. And that horse that finished second or placed in the vernacular of horse racing was Epicenter. And guess who had Epicenter? I did. So I was the big winner. So I'm far wealthier now than I was just a couple of days ago because I had Epicenter that I pulled out of the hat. And no, contrary to what some people were saying, it was not rigged. So I didn't have the winner, but I had the winner. All right, wanted to share that story with you. Hey, congratulations to Nikola Jokic, MVP again in the NBA. Well-deserved. Twitter was... uh, kicking around who's the greatest nugget of all time, actually prior to Nikola winning his second MVP. It's not even close. It's Jokic. And that's not to suggest there haven't been other great nugget players. Certainly there have been. But there's there's never been an MVP. And this guy's won it back-to-back. And he deserved to win it back-to-back. And he was better this year than he was last year. You go all the way back to David Thompson, David Thompson was probably the most exciting player to ever play professional basketball in Denver. There was Carmelo Anthony, and I was around for uh, calling the games when Carmelo was a rookie. One of the great scorers ever to play pro basketball, obviously, in Denver. Same thing for Alex English. But they were more one-dimensional. Dikembe Mutombo, great player, but one-dimensional on the other end of the floor and being a rim protector. Dan Issel, you know, very, very good player. But when you talk about everything that Jokic has done at the level he's done it, 27-plus points this year, almost 14 rebounds a game, almost eight assists a game, 
and he did it without, and this has been pointed out in every corner of the state and everybody who follows the Nuggets and was trying to make a case for Jokic over Embiid, over Giannis. He didn't have the supporting cast that those guys had. Embiid had Harden after the trade. Yeah, he didn't have Simmons early. So to me, it was a no-brainer. It was well-deserved. Congratulations to Jokic. And uh, yes, he's the greatest Nugget of all time. And right now, he's among the greatest athletes to ever play in Denver in the four major sports. Not going to kick that thing around in this particular show, but he's right there. And he's young, man. It's even more remarkable he's a second-round pick. That's like being you know, a seventh-round pick in the NFL. Good stuff, though. Good stuff. You know what's good stuff? The Avalanche. They sweep Nashville. And what was most impressive for me, and I know they swept through the first round last year, and we know we've, they've lost three straight second-round series. I don't think that's going to happen this year because the focus, the intensity after the blowout win in Game 1, 7-2, to that intensity remained for all four games. There wasn't, we're going to take you know the foot off the gas, that sort of thing. Never saw that. Even when Darcy Kemper went down, the good news is you know, Kemper's going to be fine, evidently. They played with grit. They played with virtually the same intensity uh, you know, for 12 periods of ice hockey, or at least close to that. So 12 to go, as I keep tweeting out. You know, every time they win... It's like the 16 W hats from the last time they won the cup. Four down, 12 to go. Go Avs, go. Rockies very quickly. Uh, they're in the midst of you know a road trip, and, and it's going to be back home. They're seeing the Giants for the first time. And, uh, yes, you're seeing really good pitching. And you're going to see really good pitching when you play in the NL West, which makes it imperative that you do the little things. You get that clutch hit. You play sound defense. And and that's one area I haven't talked a lot about. But they haven't been nearly as good defensively as we've seen them in the recent past. And I know a lot of the errors came, or a good portion of them came, in that one series where they played uh, very poorly in Philadelphia. But there have been too many games where there's an error here or an error there, and they they have to tighten up the ship. Because games inside the NL West, when they're well-pitched, come down to 90 feet here, 90 feet there, clutch hit there, clutch hit there. Uh, so that's you know a bit of a concern. And, and so hopefully going forward, they'll, they'll be able to, uh, to clean that up. All right, I'm going to continue on with my conversation with Thomas Harding because we kick around things uh, in baseball and hockey, and it's always a good visit. And that's why uh, we're going to get two parts to it. I hope you caught part one last week. This is part two with my uh, buddy from MLB.com who covers the Rockies on a regular basis. Brought to you by Ideal Home Loans, Thomas Harding. Well, Thomas, you are unlike... I'm not going to throw writers under the bus. Writers have a have a tough job, especially sports writers, especially sports columnists. But you always have a sunny disposition, which is one of the reasons I love you. And I would imagine through the years, you have had many interviews that stand out, subjects that stand out. So off the top of your head, I'm kind of surprising you with this, who are the who are the 
guys from a Rocky standpoint that you've interviewed that you say, man, that was really enjoyable for the following reasons? Who, who jumps out at you? Well, I think uh, and uh, Ubaldo Jimenez always jumps out because Ubaldo is, uh, like, for, for example, coming out of the Dominican Republic, the education system is not the best in the world. In fact, at one point I was told that the average uh, child drops out of school at age 10. But he came out. His mother wanted him to be a doctor. I think he's got some, some people that, that are educated in the family. Just finished his college degree. But when you talk to them, when you talk to Ubaldo, you were talking to someone that it wasn't just the, his life wasn't just the 60 feet and 6 inches between the rubber and the plate. So I liked him a lot. John Gray the same way. I mean, um, just, just, just an interesting fellow, a lot of different interests, and, and is not afraid to let you know his feelings. Um, another guy that I enjoyed talking to, and sometimes it was a bit of a spar, was Todd Helton. And he was a guy that um, I actually watched um, and covered when he played football at Tennessee and also even when he was in high school at Knoxville Central High School. But a very intelligent guy, probably different from me in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, a down-home Tennessee guy, but... Uh, a little bit worldly also, so so he was a lot of fun. I, I actually could go on because it seems like there were a number of players that maybe you wouldn't even know their names that were just fun to deal with. So I, I don't know. What I tried to do over over the years, and this started earlier in my career, I mean, I did some news where, let's face it, your money was involved, your – your safety was involved in other things. So getting the sport, you're just you're dealing with human beings that are playing the sport. Um, I'm not saying I mean it's a great job to have, but the 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 um, the republic isn't hinging on what they do on that particular day. And sometimes I think that people just kind of look at them as robots. But I like to get their personality and find out more about them, and I hope that comes through when I write about them. No, I think it, I think it does. I got to tell you a quick aside about Helton because uh, Todd, Todd was he's he's sneaky, funny, sneaky, witty, and anybody who has a really good wit, I I always feel is you got to you got to be pretty sharp, got to be pretty bright when you have a sharp wit, and Todd does, and uh, you know. Todd could be moody, mercurial, uh, but I but I agree with you. He's, uh, Todd, Todd is interesting. He he's best when talking about anything or any subject other than himself because he he had true humility. Um, yeah, I would agree with that, and and he really did within that group try to give himself over to the others there. I mean, now he had a lot of pride in hitting. He had yeah. a lot of pride in hitting, and I, I never will forget being yelled at, yelled at by him one day. What happened was he was going through a slump, and he hadn't been talking much. And I said, "Todd, I'd like to talk to you." He's like, "I'll talk to you later." You know, kind of, kind of went, went away. So we're in that tunnel between the clubhouse and the dugout. He's like, "What do you want?" And I go, "Well, you know what I want." And he just blows up, and he is he is almost screaming at me. And then he says, he, then he says, still, still yelling, thank you for listening because all these people are telling me how to hit and I know how to hit and I'm getting tired of it. So I had to blow up at somebody. And, you know, that was, that was, that was, 
was a very interesting kind of interview there where it's like I went from asking a question to fielding the anger of Todd Helton for about, you know, for about 45 seconds. But that's kind of, he was a real person. And I think that sometimes when you're a quote-unquote baseball hero, you almost built up to mythical proportions. And we all know that they're people, they have problems, they they do things that are, um, you know, and and they're not easy to get along with at times. At times they are. But Todd was a real person, and I really enjoyed that he kind of let his humanity out. And really, if there was a um, thought that uh, Todd Helton was being been built up to something that he wasn't, it wasn't Todd who was doing it. No. I got a quick one. So, Todd, as you know, last week we get word that, that Todd got ejected from a minor league game. And people, if you missed this, you're going, what are you, what are you talking about? Todd Helton doesn't play baseball anymore. He hasn't played in, since 2013. Todd's a special assistant uh, to, to Billy Schmidt, the, the general manager. And on his docket, he goes around to the Rockies minor league uh, teams and spends time. He was at spring training along with a number of guys, Cargo being one. And But Todd spends time now with the young guys. Well, he gets thrown out of a, of a minor league game for arguing with the home plate umpire. And so I sent him a text. You'll love this. I sent him a text. I said, congratulations. You are the first um, special assistant to a major league general manager to get thrown out of a minor league game in the history of the game. I have no idea if that's a fact, but I made it a fact, right? And in vintage Todd, he texts back, thank you, comma, umpire sucked. (laughs) That, That is Todd. And, and, right. and that's the thing. Yeah, that's exactly. It. If you had texted him for a comment about it or whatever, yeah. he may not have gotten back. But something like that, and he had he had a point to make, and he made it. Yeah, and then, and then the next morning I get one. How are you doing? I mean, he's so random. I mean, he's just he's a he's a piece of work. But he it was he summed it up very quickly. Thank you for the compliment and the umpire suck. <laughs> That's right, and that that is so Todd. Just a just a guy competing, trying to win again. He probably he probably would have if they had texted back then. Probably would have texted you when he was in high school, or texted one of his buddies the exact same thing. I, I always say this real quick. We all know this. We all know Todd's story, et cetera. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame, which he which he deserves. This dude, man, was the Gatorade Player of the Year in football and baseball in Tennessee. Goes to University of Tennessee, starting quarterback till Peyton he gets hurt, Peyton takes over. And oh, by the way, on the mound, even though he may have been the best hitter in the country, on the mound, he still doesn't he still have an NCAA record, like 48 or 50 scoreless innings in a row? His stuff in the in college baseball, not to mention what he did in the in the big leagues, it's stupid. It's ridiculous. Yeah, he he kind of threw from that low sidearm angle as a closer. And I watched him. I mean, it, and it's funny, too, because when I say this, people do a double take. I watched him scramble 50 yards for a touchdown against Vanderbilt. Nobody saw Todd scramble in the major league. The running wasn't exactly his thing, but I saw him scramble for a touchdown. I remember watching him in the high school football all-star game, though. And at that time, I didn't know that Peyton Manning was coming. 
But I watched him like, this guy is athletic enough to move to linebacker or a defensive back or kind of kind of like a strong safety because his brother had been a linebacker at Alabama when they won the 91 National Championship. I always thought that there were different things that he could do, but Todd didn't particularly enjoy football. He didn't enjoy all the practices and all the meetings and all the sitting around the X's and O's of it. He wanted to play, and he ended up in the right sport. He ended up in the right sport, but, you know, you, you remember such things. In high school, he did. He ran well. He was a center fielder at Knoxville Central, and, yes, he could move, um, but what what an incredible athlete. But if you talk to him about it, you'd think he was, like, the worst, you know, the worst guy on the, on the team. So, hey, mo- moving on, I want to I wanna bring up a – uh, you you wrote a piece and you write so many good pieces. I mean, for for what I do, um, I, I read you all the time because it's part of my homework. As I prepare for, uh, you know, a game, a series, a team, you know, staying up to speed on on our guys, if you will, who who populate the Rockies clubhouse. But you wrote a piece on a young minor league uh, catcher in the Rockies organization who's in Spokane right now, and this this young man. Uh, is out of Eastern Kentucky. His name's A.J. Lewis. Uh, I just checked today. He has nine at-bats. Drew Romo's the big star there. This guy probably will never play in the big leagues. I don't want to you know, sell anybody short. Probably will never play in the big leagues. But he may work in a big league front office because he's completing his master's uh, at Northwestern right now. And the reason I'm bringing him up and getting really long-winded is he is an African-American catcher and that seems to be very unusual now in the game at any level, not not just the big leagues. And unfortunately, there are more uh, you know young black players getting drafted, but you don't see them behind the plate. Why you well, I, well, I'm hoping that that changes with a lot of the efforts to get more black players playing, but. And this is my theory on it, and I think it's a pretty valid theory. And one of the things in that article, and when I talked to A.J. Lewis, um, I had done a lot of research on him, and he gets asked, why aren't there more black catchers? I mean, here's a guy who just came out of college. How is he going to answer that question? I mean, really, you right. know? <laughs> but um, I go back to something, and there's a guy, I think he's at the University of Central Florida, Richard Lapchick, and he does a lot of, he studies all the pro leagues and all the colleges to see how they are treating, promoting, um, giving chances to women and minorities and everything else. But he had this thing that, um, and this goes back to really around the time of the early parts of integration in the 60s and 70s, uh, position stacking. So, there were there were some stereotypes. If you're a black person, you couldn't think that you could run. So you ended up getting shunned at the center field. And if you weren't fast, there wasn't a place for you on the team. So if you look at uh, if, if you look at the history, you had a lot of black outfielders. Some of those were shortstops. Some of them may have been guys who did other things, but they got moved to the outfield because you think, okay. Uh, this, this is your idea of who they are, and some of it may be innocent in that, um, or, uh, innocent in in origin in that 
Right. We try to look at a guy and compare him to somebody else. So you have comps, is what they call it. Um, but what what happens is guys get moved out of positions, or guys who may be good at other positions get totally overlooked. Um, but if you look at how baseball, when baseball integrated, look at the great catchers that came. I mean, you, you guys like uh, Elson Howard and 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 Roy Campanella. That was the position through the '60s and into the '70s that all of a sudden you started seeing. You, you started seeing the catchers disappeared, but you still had a lot of black outfielders. And that was my feeling on that, that it was that you got position stacked. In other words, you get moved to a position and you're competing with each other, so not all of you can get on the field at the same time. And I do believe that there was some truth to that long ago. And what's happened is the result of that is years and years and years and the erosion of baseball in, in major cities where you have black populations. I think it all kind of added up to the guys who, who seem to get the opportunity of the guys with the speed and catcher. Speed is not part of being a catcher. No, and I think you can make an analogy to, to football. For for many years, you didn't see many uh, black quarterbacks, and now that whole you know that that's fortunately a thing of the past. And if you see players playing a certain position that look like you, you're gonna say, "Well, I can go do that." And if you don't see that, you're saying, "Well, I guess you know I'm better off." You know, trying to be a you know an outfielder or whatever to the to the point you made and and uh, uh, we've read about in the past. Yeah, hey, I grew up playing football, right. and I played two positions where there were few black players. I played center, mm-hmm. and if you think about it, until Dermani Dawson, a few guys like that came along, there were very few black centers and inside linebacker, middle linebacker, and because I remember. Willie Lanier was kind of the guy for all of us. I mean, we thought he was better than Dick Buckus, and I would still say he was at least the equal of Dick Buckus playing in the AFL. Um, but when those things started to change, then I think you had a you had a better game where you where everybody was given opportunity. If you were a middle, if you were a center, you weren't moved to right guard. Where I remember I was um, hanging around a team. And one of the guys said, man, why do all the brothers play right guard? They're all playing the same position. And even if you're better than, even if you're better than the center or you're better than the tackle, you were playing right guard and one of you got to play and the other so you sat on the bench. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hoping that as baseball re-evolves because baseball was our sport. Uh, it really was. Before, before basketball, baseball was the sport. I remember even reading about NFL players who said they ended up in football because they couldn't hit a ball to the gap and get a double. So baseball was our sport. I really hope that comes back. Yeah, and, and, I, and in, in particular, the position to catcher, that's, that's what I played. I, my middle son's a college catcher. I, I think across the board, regardless of, of you know, race, ethnicity, et cetera, I would like to see more players realize, like tremendous athletes realize, that's the most important defensive position on the field, and and you need to be cerebral, you need to be athletic, you need to be tough. And you know, I coach in high school, and, and we, there's a dearth of of players that want to play back there, and that's shocking to me because that's the place to be. Well, yeah, if you like, actually, you're a catcher, but here's. Here's the funny thing about some of the stereotypes we talked about is that um, 
you know, the black player was moved away from catcher, yet the Latino player, that was one of the positions after after the black players were sort of, for, for the various reasons, dropped out of the game. That was where you got a lot of catchers. And um, part of that, and this is something that I think that when there's talk about a worldwide draft that they fear, part of that is you go to Latin America and you sign a bunch of catchers for very little money. And when one develops, then suddenly you have, for a very cheap price, developed an all-star. But if they're paid more in the draft, do those guys not get drafted? I don't know. I hope not. That's, it, it, it's, it's interesting, but great piece. And for those that um, they get a moment, go to MLB.com and look up uh, Thomas's piece on A.J. Lewis. We're with Thomas Harding from MLB.com in a moment. But first this for Ideal Home Loans. We keep telling you it's a crazy world out there when it comes to real estate, and things have changed because interest rates have gone up. So you may be asking me, okay, how can Ideal Home Loans help you out? A lot of people are staying in their homes now and remodeling. Well, that costs money as well. And they can give you the best plan of attack in terms of remodeling your home. If you're still out there looking for that new home or perhaps uh, other ways of financing, they have uh, great ideas for you as well. So it's very simple. Give them a call. You will not be hurt by that. 303-867-7000. 303-867-7000. In fact, a close friend of mine uh, just closed on a home, went through for the second time Ideal Home Loans, thrilled with the process, thrilled with the attention to detail that they received from Brent Ivinson's team. It's that simple. Just give them a call. In whatever place you are, they will help you navigate the best way through this crazy real estate world. 303-867-7000 is the number at Ideal Home Loans. Now back to more with Thomas Harding from MLB.com. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up everybody's favorite who covers the Rockies, and and I can speak for the people that covered the Padres in the past, Buddy Black. Uh, Buddy is just a good human to begin with, and also one of the funnier and better storytellers that we know. And so I'm going to ask you, Thomas, do you have a favorite or a couple of favorite Buddy stories? Yeah, let me see. I, I, it's funny, I can't remember them all because my, my thing about Buddy is every day when you show up at the park, um, you have things you want to know, you have things that the manager may say, may not say, and sort of the banter has been fun with him. Um, I, I, I don't remember everything about it, but I think he's talked several times about his Major League debut, just getting a few pitches in Boston, and I always found that fascinating because but what it always leads me to is that Buddy likes giving guys their Major League debuts. So that kind of sticks out to me. And and just the times in the dugout where, where there's just the back and forth and sometimes when you're really driving for something and or you're trying to hold him to something and he knows that he's not going to say that in front of the camera i think that those are the things i enjoy about bud black yeah yeah. and and buddy will buddy will invariably uh, 
seven days a week, six of the seven days, he'll say, oh, that reminds me of a story. And then he'll, and then he'll put like an R, like a wave in front of the camera. Okay, this is not to, to be placed on air. And, and, he tr- and he trusts all the people that are around him, you know, all the time. And then he'll tell some, you know, sometimes uproariously funny story that none of us can use, uh, but, but it's entertaining. Yeah, or, or sometimes they'll bring up a, a just randomly, like I think uh, yesterday you weren't there, um, but we were, uh, Garrett Hampson was coming off of his injury. And somebody asked Buddy, how's Hampson doing? And Buddy looks out there and he sees Hampson throwing the football like a lot of guys do, kind of playing around before a game. Then he goes, yeah, I think he could run a nice, uh, he could run a nice post pattern or a fly pattern. I'm thinking Don Maynard, and he would bring up some player from the 50s, 60s, or 70s randomly, and it's always cool because you know, those were some of the some of the people that I grew up either watching if if they were young enough, or even following just reading about when I was a kid. Yeah, he, he that's that's him vintage, and then he'll look at you and go, "Hey, Don Maynard, I worked in Don Maynard." He's like, you know. Great pride in that he was able to to pull Don Maynard out of uh you know from, from <laughs> out of Garrett Hampson yeah exactly right out of Garrett Hampson uh, it's beautiful stuff and you and you can prompt him also because you were not on uh, the first part of the road trip in Detroit and you gave copious notes uh, to the young lady who filled in for you for MLB.com. And the first note of the day, and she was really excited about presenting this to Buddy, was, Buddy, Thomas wanted me to get your thoughts on today being egg, a fish, the egg salad uh, sandwich day. <laughs> yeah, egg salad appreciation week. That was incredible. Is that what it was? Okay. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, and, and 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 she stepped up. It was great. And she stepped up and asked that, and so Buddy knew that I was paying attention from afar. And I remember this. I remember hearing about the sparring when she brought up Ryan Feltner because Feltner had had a very good game on a Friday, and I had looked at the rotation. And it's like, gee, the Rockies are going to need a pitcher next Wednesday. And it fits right in with Feltner. And so she brings up Feltner. And um, Don Clemish is her name, really good writer, uh, covers a lot of teams for us. She, she works in Detroit and Tampa Bay. And Buddy was like, but I don't speak about minor leaguers or whatever. But you could tell there was some sparring. And you could tell, I, I could almost see the look on Buddy's face that, yeah, you know, she knows what's going on here. So. Yeah, that, that, that was good. yeah, but buddy, buddy is fun, and he makes our he makes our our lives that much uh, more entertaining covering a team on a day to day basis. Thomas, you you do it uh, as well as anybody out there. Um, I appreciate as always the time. Uh, I will I will give little people uh, some in, or, or people some insight, uh, further insight into you have a number of nicknames. Uh, my favorite is is Hardball. So I'm going to say goodbye to you and use that um, nickname. But we'll do it. We'll do it again soon. Um, make sure you read Thomas on MLB.com. And uh, I'm taking tonight off. Uh, you have fun dodging those raindrops at the ballpark. Yeah, I'll dodge those raindrops. I only ask you to do one thing on your off day, what? and that's call up my newsletter. It's free. Sign up on MLB.com. Sign up with your MLB.com account and. Read the newsletter. It comes out Wednesdays and Saturdays. Okay, th- there you go, because I was going to ask you. In your mailbox, yes. Because uh, I was going to ask you if there was anything you wanted to plug. So there it is, your newsletter. 
And MLB. Yeah, Wednesdays, Saturdays. Um, it's it's fun to read. It's informative. Hopefully, there's some trivia in there. So yeah, go for it. Perfect. And then, as you like to say, I expect to read some poetry tomorrow morning uh, on the outcome of Game 2 between the Rockies and Washington Nationals. And it will be poetry, yes. <laughs> Tomas, you're the best, man. Have fun tonight, and I will, uh, I'll see you shortly. All right, thanks a lot. All right, big thanks again to Thomas Harding. Always good to catch up with Thomas. Hey, I'm wondering about that story that Buddy told that I retold at the start of uh, our little show today. So Ted Simmons obviously realized, because he told the story years later, that Bob Seger picked him up hitchhiking. Does Bob Seger realize who the ball player was and what he became later on? Like, does Bob Seger realize that Ted Simmons became a great player? I don't know, because I don't know if Bob Seger is much of a baseball fan. Anyhow, that's a cool story. Uh, one other note about the Rockies didn't touch on earlier that has to get cleaned up. They have to be better defensively. There have been too many games where, even if it's not, quote-unquote, an error, there are outs that should be put away that have not been. They have to clean things up defensively. Now, on one hand, they lead baseball by far in double plays turned, and they historically have because they've had so many pitchers that are adept at getting ground balls. And this goes back to 93. They've turned more double plays since their inception in 93 than any other team in baseball. So the double plays have been good, but they've left outs out there, and there have been too many errors not just in that Philadelphia series, watching them in San Francisco. There's been a number of games where you'd say, boy, that wasn't clean. That was sloppy. That has to clean up, if you will, going forward. All right, out of time. We'll uh, get together in a week. Chris Forbes will be joining us uh, next week. He is the Rockies farm director. You'll get a lowdown on all things minor league and some of the players that uh, hopefully will be impacting the Rockies in the not-too-distant future. A reminder to join the DNVR crew and uh, Patrick Lyons and the DNVR Rockies podcast and all written material uh, with the Rockies and all the DNVR. Uh, good stuff they have on all the teams in our region. So make sure you uh, download and subscribe. We'll talk again next week. Take care. Be safe, everyone. And thanks for spreading the word about our podcast. See ya.